Welcome to Podcast with Lara Axtell, a seasoned educator of 26 years. In each episode of Podcast, Lara explores a current educational topic from a variety of perspectives to identify practical solutions to help improve the future of education. Podcast is brought to you by Reading Horizons, the creator of a data-driven literacy program for beginning readers, struggling readers, and English language learners of all ages. Visit readinghorizons.com to learn more. And now, Podcast with your host, Laura Axtell. I'm Laura Axtell, your host, and this is the first episode as we begin season four of Podcast. We have been so fortunate to have many experts and guests share information, perspectives, and resources, and to have you, our listeners, join us on this journey. Today's guest, Dr. Wendy Thompson, is an experienced special education teacher and an expert on integrating technology in classrooms that serve students with special needs. She provides ideas and wonderful examples, as well as a range of assistive technology for communication and accessing the curriculum. We have included the names and links to the resources she mentions on the podcast webpage for this episode, so be sure to check that out at readinghorizons.com forward slash podcast. We're excited that you've tuned in for season four, and now today's episode. Hello, Wendy. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Podcast. Hi. I am so thankful that you gave me this opportunity to talk to you. Well, we're going to be talking about communication and collaboration in special education classrooms today, which was the subject of an article you wrote for Smart Brief. So before we jump into that important topic, can you just tell us a little bit about your experience? Sure. I've been teaching now for 30 years, and all of my experience has been with students with significant disabilities from the autism population to students who are developmentally challenged, who are students that with physical and cognitive issues. So communication for us has multiple meanings and it's always been something that's been very important. So over that time, I've completed my doctorate degree in educational technology So marrying the two, my love for teaching with um, my love of tech, it's been great learning more and more about how I can blend that into my classroom experiences to help my students. And that's what really grabbed me in your article. So that you talked about, you know, communication with students in special ed classrooms, and you offered so many great ideas. What led you to this whole understanding of the need for this type of um, communication, collaboration, the classroom practices that you're using now? Well, over time, you realize that all students want really one thing, and that's to be heard. And no matter how they go about doing that, if they're students who use communication devices or students who have speech impairments that may limit the amount of verbal language that you can obtain from them, it's about them feeling as if they're listened to. So we came up with different ways of getting that done, giving people that sense of, hey, what I have to say is important and someone will listen. So it could be 
done either verbally on a face-to-face or for some students who are a little challenged with verbal communication in a face-to-face, hey, let's try using tech because everybody today loves the tech option. All of my kids love using telephones. Everybody wants an iPhone. Everybody wants to use a tablet or an iPad or some type of technology. So there's so many wonderful things out there that are tech-based that allow you to promote communication. And we've experimented over the, t- over the last five to ten years in finding out what works best with our students. Well, and there's so much more available now than there was even a couple of years ago. It must be exciting and a little overwhelming to, to know that there are so many things out there. Yeah, that's the hard part now. In the beginning, it was only a few things that were maybe accessible for our students. But now, with um, UDL regulations and universal um, design for learning, everyone else is jumping on the bandwagon of making sure that all students are able to use almost any software or application that's developed. And that's been great for us. And I bet that really plays into now that you're furthered your education with instructional technology, you're really kind of on the forefront of, you know, being able to utilize all those in practice. Yes, it's really been. And I think because of the type of classroom placement I have, my kids love to experiment. So if I hear about a new, I'm a conference goer. I love to attend conferences and because I think I get a lot of information from people who are in the field who are also using technology. And then I'll come back and I'll try it with my students. And we see if it works for us or if it doesn't when we move on to something else. Right. You mentioned that in your article, that you have daily wrap sessions with your students. So could you talk more about what that looks like and why you think that is so valuable? Well, for us, our our daily wrap sessions are a way for students to actually bring out what they feel. It can be a review of what we did or what happened in class the day before or how they felt about something that happened either at home or with another friend. But we sit and we talk. It's really a fun and meaningful way for the kids to get it out. And we do it first thing in the morning so we don't have anything that's hanging over from the day before. I have students that are behavioral, and sometimes one student will say or do something to another student, and that student in the moment doesn't know how to respond. So they get that time to calm down, think about it, and then say to the other person the next day, I didn't like it when you did this or when you said that. It hurt my feelings. If you want to be my friend, then that's not the way to treat me. They use their words, but they get it out. Don't do it again. Right. And um, and it's meaningful. And during rap sessions, you have to sit and listen. Only one person talks at a time. You will. Everyone knows that they will get a turn. But it's about listening and letting the person know that you are listening. 
and they're fun. So, and it sounds like it really just engages with the whole social and emotional learning so that they really start to understand what is appropriate and how to use it in a safe environment. Yes, and about being able to voice it. Voice how you feel. Let others know that, because for a lot of students with disabilities, they may have to learn how to speak up. They don't automatically feel as if they have the right to have, especially students with physical disabilities, because people are always helping them do one thing or the other. They have to be given the experience of saying, no, don't do that. I don't feel comfortable with you doing that. My body is my own, and if I need help, I will ask you for it. So like setting boundaries even. Yes, absolutely. And we found that doing rap sessions, all of these things come out where you thought you were helping a student do something and they weren't really comfortable with you doing it, but they're so used to people helping them that they just never said anything. And I had a kid that said to me once, "Uh, Ms. Thompson, really, if I needed you, I'd have called you. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, next time I'll wait to be called. Right. That's so powerful, though. Yes. And because, you know, we are always telling students that they learn to need to advocate for themselves and learning to communicate how you feel about anything is an important part of advocating. And um, that's another reason why we push the topic of communication. And we try to use different things in order to get that across to students. How can you communicate not just to talk, to talk, but to be effective in what you say and how you say it so that people listen and understand. One of the things that really works for us in the classroom is Vokey. Um, I don't know if a lot of people are familiar with it, but it's a great application. It's V-O-K-I, and Vokey allows for students who may not be as comfortable speaking to use an avatar to speak about anything just for 60 seconds, 60 seconds. And you don't realize how long that is for some students, but 60 seconds of meaningful conversation. And then they, instead of having to say that in front of someone else, they can pass that Vokey on to someone else. They can email it. They can just share it with a parent, with a friend, and then that person can turn around and share a Vokey with them, and that starts the conversation. And what I've found over time is that the kids will take that beginning, and they're so proud of what they've done that they then start talking to others face-to-face about their little Vokey, what they presented, what they made. And it's really been like a spark plug for us. It just gets them started and we can use it to do conversations about readings and topics in social studies or science because there are over 250 different characters that they can choose from to become as they speak about whatever they want to. So the avatar is actually doing the speaking, which takes the pressure off of them to feel like they're on stage? Yes. So even though the avatar is what you visually see, even though it's their voice that's coming through. That's so exciting. 
It is. It was. It's really a fun way for them to communicate. And there's so many different applications out there now, like Bokey, like um, another classroom favorite is ChatterPix. And ChatterPix is a fun one in that you can take a picture of anything and then you just draw a mouth on it where the voice comes through. And the kids will draw it in different places so it looks kind of bizarre and they find that to be hilarious. And um, using ChatterPix, we get to do the same thing. And we actually use ChatterPix sometimes in our morning wrap sessions. We'll get a topic started at the end of the day, and then sometimes the kids who have technology at, for use at home will make our ChatterPix at home and send it in to do as their startup for our group wrap sessions in the morning. And you mentioned several key points in your article about ways of encouraging communication, even academically and things like that. Could you share some of those? One of the big things for us right now is we're using Google Suite of different applications. And because with it, within the Google Suite of applications, we can use Google Docs. And with speak to text option in Google Docs, the students are really beginning to put down what they know because it's always been difficult for them feeling as if, oh, I can't write that because physically writing can be taxing or I'm not sure of how to um, spell a word, so I don't want to chance putting something down I don't know is right. So they would like, it was really limiting for a lot of my students, but now that they understand that, I just put the words out. The more words I put out, the more information I have to work with. Because what we'll do is we'll start with, okay, just sit down and talk to your document. Talk about this topic. We've reviewed it. We've gone over it. You, I need to know what you know about that topic. And um, they'll just sit in front of the computer or a tablet, and they'll just start talking on Google Docs. And then we'll edit by going through that and do our first rewrite. The kids love it. They sit and they listen to each other's document and go, oh, I forgot about that. I said, you guys know there's one thing about sharing information, and then there's copyright infringement. Do you understand that? And we laugh about things like that. And um, But even when they're doing their academic work, they need to learn to voice what their responses are. Some of my students do use communication devices, and they're on picture-level communication devices where they're not actually typing out words. And having the ability to use a communication device to respond in group is great, but a lot of it is based on what someone else pre-programs for you. And for some of my students, the ability to use something like a Google Doc where I can go in and find my own pictures. I, I know how to say in the search and edit, because we teach them how to go through edit and go to image search on Google on the web and let's figure out where to get that image from. 
let's make choices because your choices are your way of communicating best with me because I can help you with what you want to say if you can provide the choices for me of what you want. So that's one big thing for us right now, learning how to use what's out there that already has assistive tech built into it. One of the applications that I'm absolutely in love with is a thing that we're trying out that's called Green Screen by Doink. Green screening is a fantastic way of getting kids animated about the conversations in the communication. We will have students put on performances or Last year, one of the big things we were doing was um, we had each student choose a place that they would like to visit, and they had to do the research on it, and then they had to put together a travel commercial for it, and they had to find the backgrounds and all of the images that they would use, and then they stood in front of it like they were at that place, and they would... And they put together a welcome to Tokyo because I have one kid who's really into going to Tokyo. He's going to go to Tokyo someday. So he did this whole big production on Tokyo. But in that, the other students had to each then watch everyone else's production. And then they sat and they talked about where they would like to go what they liked about the other person's activity and why they thought that one would be a better place to go than where they initially wanted to go. So it was really interesting, and it gave us that topic of learning how to use a map, learning how to do research. It gave us a lot of different skills in just doing the green screening. It's such a powerful tool to use with students, and some of them can do it independently, while some others may still need help. And what a wonderful way to learn about lots of different information, and I bet the retention is much better. It is. I have students who, after doing things on green screen, will come back to me years later, even though they're no longer mine, and go, Ms. Thompson, do you remember when we did at our women's history reports and they had to research a woman in history and then put together a presentation and they did a green screen presentation on that and they were so excited about it we'll be right back podcast is sponsored by reading horizons the creator of a data-driven literacy program for beginning readers struggling readers and english language learners of all ages With data-informing software and teacher-led instruction, students receive targeted intervention that leads to rapid reading improvement. Visit readinghorizons.com slash demo to see how Reading Horizons can transform your reading instruction. Well, it sounds like the assistive technology you're describing can really have two primary uses. One is for students who are nonverbal, they can communicate and um, access the curriculum the same as everybody else. And for those who are verbal, but maybe more limited or just more uncomfortable with it, now it gives them a way to have fun and to be engaged and maybe to encourage them to be more verbal. Yes, absolutely. But we're talking about 
educational technology that has assistive technology add-ons to it. So that makes it really fun for the kids. And it's another powerful part is, is that it's not it's not making them feel any different from any other kid because they may come home and find that their sisters or brothers are going, oh, wow, what are you using? Their parents are excited about the things that they're learning to use when they use the green screen to make presentations or they're using Google Apps and they're doing research or when they start making Vokies and emailing them to parents or to grandparents. One of the big things and which the article was originally about was how just using a application like TypeTastic, which helps my students with learning keyboarding skills, was so powerful for us because in it, the kids saw it as really a game. But they were picking up letter recognition skills that had been really difficult for them, but they wanted to do typetastic so much that they were learning it because they wanted to beat each other. They wanted to get to the next level faster than the person who was sitting next to them or their friend in the classroom. There's just so much involved in just learning keyboarding that really is what the form of communication for most adults and most kids are today. Well, gamification is a powerful motivator. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) That is so true. Well, you talk about the benefits for students, but I would love to hear your take on how this has really helped teachers and parents, because often in classrooms where you've got such diverse learners, you know, it can be very frustrating to try and do a universal design that allows everyone to be engaged and participate. So what have you seen with the apps and devices you're talking about for parents and teachers? Well, for a lot of the teachers that I work with, we found that once we get over the hurdle of being afraid of what the tech can do, we realize how much it brings to the students. And for our students and our teachers, we have started to really engage in using tech in the classroom, to engage in learning new applications and sharing them with each other. If one teacher has success with something, then they might share that with someone else who they know has similar kids or in a similar setting so that they too might try it and we pass it back and forth. I've had teachers who used to be strictly paper pencil who are now looking at using PDFs on a device where students can maybe drag and click or can... We use we are Seesaw for school. School, do you know Seesaw? I do, but um, I would love for you to explain it to our listeners. Okay, Seesaw is a portfolio, an online portfolio that students can use for. At first, when I first started hearing about Seesaw, I thought of it as just an assessment tool. But for students like ours, Seesaw has become so much more. I'm such a seesaw advocate that you would not, you don't even want to get me on my soapbox about seesaw. Um, Seesaw allows 
for us to show our students as they are. We can video. Students can record themselves speaking with the lessons. We can utilize lessons that other people have put together that from our around the world. And it's just so exciting with all the stuff that's in there. And parents get to see it right away. Parents are so excited when they get those little dings that they have something new in Seesaw to see. It's such a great way for parent-school communication, for parent-school interactions. My parents write, oh, wow, I saw this activity you did, and they will explain the activity, and they leave the little notes for the students, and we read them to each other in class, and the kids get all excited because their parents saw their work. It's no longer writing a book about, today your student had a good day. They see what their students are doing. And for us, it's, such, it's something that we were never able to really do. Because you can explain when a student has an aha, aha moment. You can write that in a note. And a parent will go, oh, wow, great. I'm happy that happened. But when they can see it themselves, when they can see a student reach a milestone that for a lot of our students, people may have thought they never would reach. When the parents get to see it, they get so much more invested in trying that much harder and getting them to the next one. And students and parents must be so proud of the work that the kids are able to produce that way. Yes, that, and that's what I one of the things that we love about it is here in Jersey City, where our school is, it's one of the most diverse cities in the nation. And along with that, we have so many different languages within our school. And Seesaw, with its instant translation feature, has made my life so much easier because Learning, trying to find someone to translate a note from a parent. Oh, the years of running up and down the hall. But now it translates automatically, and I can read where the parent said, oh, I cried when I saw that. (laughs) (laughs) So assistive technology is for all of us. (laughs) Yes. So it's, it's just such a wonderful thing. Seesaw has gotten my parents where they're sending, they're telling family members in other countries, you can download it, you can see, because a lot of our kids are from different countries and they don't see family members or grandparents as often. And those grandparents getting to see them accomplishing something is very important. So it, I, I love it. I love it for all the things that it does. Yeah, I mean, for so many different reasons, having those different options just makes life so much easier for everyone. Yes, it really is. And um, getting students involved in that and getting students involved in the fact that they can go on to Seesaw. I can assign them an activity. They go in, they know how to find their activities They will go in and they are responsible for doing their work. They are responsible for how they respond on that form. Make a choice. Do you want to speak your answers in? Do you want to use labels? How do you want to get it done? 
and they practice their typing by typing their answers in, or they will circle a response if they don't feel comfortable with typing. But they're getting the work done independently. Well, I know that, Dr. Thompson, one of the other things that you're really involved in is assisting teachers in integrating technology, as we've mentioned. What are your recommendations for where they might start? Because there is so much out there. How do you help them decide what technology to use and how to manage it in a special education classroom? The first thing I tell every teacher who's new to using technology in the classroom is choose one thing. Choose one thing that you want to get really comfortable with using so that you can find success with that. Once you've found that success for yourself, it opens the door for you to try something new. Build it. Don't try using everything you hear about at one time because you're setting yourself up for failure. And I will tell the teachers in my building or when I do a workshop Find out what your biggest need is in your classroom. Then find an application or a piece of technology that meets that need. Learn that and see how that takes you to the next step. And I find that once you've done that, it really opens the door to get you into trying new things. And you just keep adding things onto your own basket of goodies and using those when you need them. You pull out what works for you. If it doesn't, put it in another basket to try again or to discard. But really, technology is only good if it's being used. Well, and I would assume that now there are some really great online resources. uh, Teachers can watch videos or go to a, a device's or a company's website to see about technical assistance, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Everyone bows down to the YouTube God because the YouTube God has made it possible for you to go on and learn how to use almost any device because someone's put up a how-to video for it. And a lot of the times that is what we'll I'll do. If you don't go to the website or if you're in a crunch and you're trying to figure out how to use something that new to you, but you really want to try it, look it up on YouTube. And there's someone doing a step-by-step for you right there. And if that doesn't work, call a company. All companies want to keep your business. And in customer service, they will help you find out what your issues and walk you step-by-step through it. Some people are so nice that they will even volunteer to send a rep in your area to you to do training on site. Those are my favorite people. (laughs) Well, you've talked about lots of ways to access the curriculum and academic subjects and, and different ways to, you know, receptive and expressive language and things like that. Have you found anything in particular that you think has been really helpful for reading and writing skills? You mentioned Google apps and things like that. What if a student has dyslexia or very limited, you know, maybe intellectual capacity or just is a very struggling reader? Is there anything in particular that you recommend or have seen be effective with students that just really the reading and writing piece is their struggle? A lot of the times when you have a student who 
really struggled, and almost all of my students do, struggle with the reading and the writing piece. I've found that using things like explain everything, they call it explain EDU now, and it gives you a plain whiteboard. And with that, you can type, you can draw, you can take an image, a video, and you put that in. And for a lot of students, being able to do that can take away that stress of having to write or type in so much information. And I do a lot of having my students maybe use an image and then caption that image. So it's like making your own comic. You can get across your main idea and your thoughts without having to be as wordy as I am. I tell them all the time. And I think over time, a lot of students who realize that reading is difficult. If I can chunk the information and chunk information by taking it and yeah, there's an extension on Google that you can put on that will take a lot of text on a page and actually bring it down to a what is the application? Um, I think you're talking about Snap and Read, yeah, which is an extension that allows the text to actually be leveled. So if it's more complex, it makes the words simpler so students can access the content. Yeah, and that is so powerful for a lot of students because they get so lost in everything that's there that they need something to help them focus. For anyone who has an IEP or a 504, there's also Read to Go. Um, Read to Go is an application that is put out by an organization that actually takes all books and will put them in a audio format so that students can read anything that's out there for free. So if it's a book that is um, for pleasure or for school, and I think they're also starting to do math activities, and it's a really powerful tool for students who are actually older and are in, like, inclusive settings that will require them to read text that is over their level of reading. And they can listen to the text and follow along with the other students in class without really sitting there looking like they're listening to text or that they can't keep up. I, I really love using it for some of my students who are a little higher functioning academically. Well, those are such great tools. Thank you so much for this information and sharing your expertise. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much, Dr. Thompson. We know that resources like those you mentioned can provide support to all students, regardless of learning differences, and also to teachers and parents. We hope this episode was of interest and look forward to sharing some amazing episodes coming up during the rest of Season 4. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of PodClast. To be notified when future episodes are available, subscribe to PodClast on iTunes. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a review. 
podcast is brought to you by Reading Horizons, the creator of a data-driven literacy program for beginning readers, struggling readers, and English language learners of all ages. With data-informing software and teacher-led instruction, students receive targeted intervention that leads to rapid reading improvement. Visit readinghorizons.com slash trial for 14 days of free access to our software. Reading Horizons. Reading is for everyone.